0: Hello, welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday message podcast. My name is Rob Dempsey. I'm a leader in our high school ministry here at Brookwood and serve and switch on Sunday mornings. On this episode, our senior pastor Perry Duggar continues in our series on experiencing the presence of God. If you wanna watch this message or listen to this week's worship, just go to our website, brookwoodchurch.org or on the Brookwood Church app. We pray this message encourages you in your walk with Christ.
1: That joy that you're singing about, joy that isn't sidetracked by difficulties which we all encounter. Today we continue our message series, Experiencing God. You learning anything from it? Seeing God a little differently is my hope. I am. I'm seeing God a little differently in how I relate to Him. Today's message is entitled, Invitation. Take out your message guide. As usual, if you're new here, the first two panels are the outline for today. And the theme verse that I've selected is actually from Acts chapter 7. Now, Acts 7 parallels Exodus 3, but Acts 7 is being told by who? Not Paul but it's a good guess. It just is wrong. Stephen, Stephen is arrested. And when they began the Sanhedrin, the high council begins questioning him. Stephen lays it on him. He tells the whole story of how God worked with his people. Now he was, what happened to him after he finished? He was stoned. But read that, but you'll see the parallel of Stephen's. But Paul does preach in Acts as well. But this is Stephen speaking. Acts chapter 7. Through the angel who appeared to him in the burning bush, God sent Moses to be their ruler and savior. And reality three is this. God invites you to become involved with him. In His work, So we're going to look at God's invitation today, and uh, we will use Acts 7 and we'll use Exodus 3 several times. God's invitation first reveals where He is at work. Exodus chapter 3. If you want to use your Bibles, you can turn to page 49 in the uh, Bible available at Brookwood, or you can use your smartphone, or it will also be on the screen. Then the Lord told, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. God informed Moses of this and God was speaking from where? Yeah, the burning bush. And so God informed Moses that he planned to rescue his enslaved people from Egyptian oppression. So that's where God was going to be working. And then he surprised or shocked Moses when he said, and I will do this through you. You will be their leader. We continue at verse nine. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. And again, also in Acts seven, verse 34. We aren't able to just look around and recognize God's work. Do you know that? It's not something we just cognitively discern. We only spiritually discern God's work. And so we see God at work by revelation. And this revelation is also his invitation to join him. See, it's all spiritually discerned, 1 Corinthians 2, 14. If you say, well, I don't see God at work. I'm oblivious to what you're talking about. Well, here's some reasons possibly why. You may not yet possess the Spirit. You might not yet be born again because seeing God at work happens when we're spiritually, when we have the Spirit, when we've been spiritually born again. And that discernment is a gift of the Holy Spirit. So if we're not yet born again, it's not surprising that we don't recognize God's hand at work. But if you say, well, I know that I have been born again, I am saved, but I still can't see. Then it could be that you are tolerating some sin in your life. Because sin will always block your discernment. It could be that you're just so caught up with this world. And you know, it's just, what can you buy? How's my team doing? If you're just even caught up with what your children are doing, if you're just, just consumed with everything that's happening around you, you might not be able to see. You're just too distracted. But if it is a sin issue, if it is you're in love with the world, God is the only one who can purify our hearts. The pure in heart, see God, is what the Beatitudes say. So it may be that we ought to say, God, is is my heart sold? Am I distracted from you? Because I really am oblivious to what you're doing. I need some God awareness, some greater vision. Ask God for that. Because God wants us to know him. God wants us to know his nature. Not only that, his motivations, his ways, which is kind of his personality. Yes, God has a personality. So he reveals what he's doing and he invites us to join in work that he initiates. Look at Amos 3. It's a little surprising. Indeed, the sovereign Lord never does anything until he reveals his plans to his servants. That's a little surprising to me. You know, and as I've been going through this series, and I, this, this may be my at least third time or more through it, but I see more. You know, I don't know if, if God's has revealed himself more i've experienced him more maybe i'm just more mature i told him this morning but you know by the time i'm 80 i might have something reasonable to say but and then you'll say i can't listen to that old guy but but i see it differently i do think this workbook is well written Um, i think it's better than the preceding versions so i urge you to buy a workbook in the bookstore take the time do the lessons God invites us to participate, but does God need us to accomplish his task? Have you heard that adage or that, you know, wise old saying, God has no hands but our hands? Who's heard that? Well, that is obviously not an adage. Well, I thought it was familiar, but there's, a, there's one of these old sayings, God has no hands but our hands, God has no feet but our feet, God has no voice but our voice. But is that true? Well, yeah, it is true. He's a spirit. He doesn't actually have physical hands. But the other issue is, does he need our hands, our feet, our voices? Now the answer is no. Oh, yeah, y'all, I got y'all on track. You see, God doesn't need us. He wants to involve us. He can do it better without us, can't he? I mean, God, see, God's creative element, his active uh, essential is his voice, which is his word. How did we get the world? God spoke it into existence. Jesus is the Logos. Logos means word. He's the expression of God. So God's speaking is his creative element, his creative force. So he doesn't need us, but he wants to involve us so we have an opportunity to develop an intimate love relationship with him. And it's a relationship that is marked by listening for his voice and being able to hear it. It's marked by trusting what we hear and being able and being willing to follow. So he invites our cooperation in his redemptive work. Second Corinthians five, 19 20. He could do it better. He could do it more efficiently But when we're raising children, don't we invite our children into whatever project we're taking on? Not because they can clean better, paint better, whatever, than we can. But but so that they will learn it, but mostly so we can relate with them as they're participating with us. You know, even Jesus watched for what God was doing. And he joined in what the Father initiated. I think sometimes, I think we have a little bit of a skewed theology of Jesus. We, we know he had a physical body, but we kind of think he was only pretending to be human. That he really had all this divine power, right? I mean, I mean, do you think that? He didn't. He abdicated the divine power. He was fully human not unlike any of us the difference was he had no doubts he had no reluctance he had no hesitation and he had no sin but Jesus watched to see where the father was at work look at this John 5 y'all have heard this already and in this series I'm going to repeat some of the same verses throughout so Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Now we recognize the father's activity, it's revealed to us, but it, but it involves things that only God can do. The Bible tells us that people don't seek Jesus Unless who draws them? Actually, the Father. You, whoever said that, you get up here on the front row. It was, it's the Father, but, but you're not theologically off to say the Spirit, for sure. But Jesus said the Father in John 6, 44. So we can know that God is at work when someone starts asking questions. Questions about faith, questions about the Bible, questions about God. And I'm not talking about this sort of aggressive skepticism. I'm talking about some honest questions in a, from someone who wants to be taught. And I think that puts witnessing. You all familiar with that word witnessing? Everybody familiar with it? Let me see hands if you're familiar with the word. I didn't say if you're doing it. Do you know what it means? I think we have gone about that without being aware of how God works often. You know, back when I was in seminary, you learn a lot of good things in seminary and a few not as good, but you kind of have to prove you've got the right spiritual stuff. You know? We're in seminary. So if you're in seminary, then you ought to have the courage to witness to people who are completely indifferent. And there was this course, continued, I mean, Christian witness training, it was called. Who knows that course? Uh, One. (laughs) Who grew up Baptist in this room? Y'all were asleep. Now, you might, it might be that you're not as old as me, but they had this course called CWT, Christian Witness Training. It was really kind of a rip off from Evangelism Explosion. But, but what you would do, and it was a different time and a place, uh, you would learn all this material so you could witness to people. And we would go out and knock on the doors of strangers. Can you even imagine that in our culture? Um, so I remember signing up. It's one of those things you do, but I'm thinking, oh, and so I had this wired up guy that I was partnered with. Y'all know the type. And so we'd go out and this guy, he was just, I mean, he was ravenous, you know, like a dog on a bone. I mean, and we'd find these houses, there's a light on And. You know, I'd be praying, light go out, light go out, light go out. (laughs) So I remember one particular evening, which again, remember different culture, but here's two men, we knock on the door, and it was a woman, just, that's the only person home was a woman. And he asked, can we come in and share with you? And she let us in. So we sat down in her um, living room. And he starts his, you know, recitation. And this woman never took her eyes off the TV. (laughs) Never turned it off. Savannah, she didn't even turn it down. I mean, you didn't have controllers in those days. So she's watching and this guy's saying, do you believe in, you know, Jesus? And yeah, but I mean, she was more worried about what was on that television. So, you know, She nodded her head a few times. So then we excused ourselves, we're out on the sidewalk. He said, see there, another one has inherited heaven. I said, all she was interested in was what Aunt B cooked. (laughs) But you know, you'd go to youth camp. You know, and again, if you got the right, you know what I'm talking about. Your parents missionaries in China, so you always had to display the right stuff, you know. So, you know, you wanted to just go and have fun at the beach, but it was youth trip. So you had to go witnessing on the beach. I'd always go up there and I'm thinking, here's somebody, you know, they got suntan. And, and I, you know, I had a good line to catch him. I'd say, hey, you think it's hot here? But, but it was sheer misery. Does anybody identify with me on this? You're trying to talk to someone who has no interest and you're well-motivated doing it and you think you're supposed to do it if you're a believer, right? But how much better to look at where God's at work and you find someone who actually is interested in what you have to say. And will even come back and want more. Another evidence of God's activity is when people admit their sin. They stop excusing, they stop justifying, they stop blaming. Instead, they become convinced of the righteousness of God. They become certain that they're headed for deserved judgment. And they repent, which means change direction. See, you can only repent by the Spirit. You can only really understand those truths by the Spirit. You might say it, but it doesn't mean you really believe it. You believe it at some cognitive level, but it won't result in change. John 16, 8. See, people who are under conviction of the Holy Spirit don't say things like this. Nobody's perfect. Everybody sins. All I see is hypocrites. They don't say that kind of stuff. You know what they say? I don't want to live like this anymore. Will God forgive me? how can I be right with God? Do you remember that day? You're not, you're not making an argument to God how he needs you. You're saying, God, would you, would you give me grace? Other indications that God's at work is when people begin understanding spiritual truth. John 14, it's revealed by the Spirit. 26, 1 Corinthians two fourteen. But but here I want you to to hear me this clearly. When we truly understand spiritually that something's true, it changes us. Y'all hear me on this? We can know a lot of information that really doesn't alter us at all. Everybody, you tracking me on here? How about the cheap seat? Y'all tracking with me on this? This is this is important. Because when we grasp something spiritually, it grasps us. You're not the same. You can't be the same anymore. You know what I'm talking about? You could have recited everything about the good news long before you were a believer, couldn't you? You'd heard it. But when we spiritually apprehend God's truth, It apprehends us and it reshapes us so that we change. Because here's the thing. Your beliefs, now I'm talking about your true beliefs, control your life. You believe me? In other words, if you're living inconsistent with something that you say you believe, guess what? you don't believe it you might can articulate it We've got visitors from seminary here today you can articulate it that's not the same as truly believing it cuz beliefs control your life you understanding this so if you want to know what you believe look at your life Because your actions are actually saying what you truly believe. Though it may be inconsistent with what you say you believe. When you see people also turn away from false religions and turn to faith in Jesus, that's God's work. Especially when those people know they will suffer rejection from friends, from family, and perhaps even persecution. But see, when God is real, you don't fear what might happen to you. And I've told this story about India. I mean, those, those, those pastors face death. A number of them have been killed and, and horribly wounded and attacked. It's going on all the time. And also I read a fascinating story about revival that's happening in Iran. Those people are in an underground church. But look that up, Google that. Revival in Iran, it's, it's amazing. But the point here is that what we should do, sometimes we just grab something and try to make it happen. We have any grabbers in the room? Come on out want some confession. How well is that working for you? And those of you that are punchers, you're not any better. Because <laughs> you're just more passive, see? It doesn't mean you're more spiritual. But here's what we're called to do. We're called to pray and watch what happens next. See, sometimes we think, we can, I can fix this. I can fix this relationship. I can make this person do that. I can make this happen. I can do that. And usually we just destroy things pray. Watch what happens next. Pay attention to who approaches you and listen to what that person says. Ask some questions to discover spiritual interest and then respond. See, only God can convert. We cooperate with his work. God's invitation reflects his purposes, not my plans. Exodus chapter two, which is a little before the burning bush. Years passed and the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help and their cry rose to God. God heard their groaning. He remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and he knew it was time to act. God's purpose, which is his covenantal promise, was to bless Israel, and he would bless them in several ways. By growing them, he told Abraham, you'll have descendants more than the sand on a seashore. So he promised descendants to a man who had no children with a wife who couldn't become pregnant. He said, I'll give you a land. They were journeymen they sojourning had no place to live no place to be he said I'm going to give you a land that will be yours and I'll bless those that bless you and I'll curse those that curse you and you will be a blessing to all the families in the world Genesis 12 2 and 3 he made the promise to Abraham he repeated it to Abraham. He fleshed it out. He made it to Isaac later. He made it he restated it to Jacob. And so God's operation even through his gracious work in us is God keeping his promise. Whatever God has promised you, he will do. Now he's going to do it in his timing. But you can count on it. It's a beautiful song the folks were singing. The way maker, but it also said the miracle worker and the promise keeper. When God told Moses from the burning bush that he would deliver, he, God, would deliver Israel out of Egypt. Then he said, startling, I'm sure it shocked Moses, and you will be the leader. Now, notice what he didn't say. You know, um, hopefully we're all learning to really examine these passages, even familiar ones, and say, what did he say? What did he not say? What would I have said if I was in the story? When God gave Moses his assignment, he didn't ask Moses whether he thought he could pull it off. Did he? You see any of that? And he didn't say, Moses, now you need to go formulate a strategy. God told Moses what he had planned, God had planned. And he only wanted one thing from Moses. What was that? Obedience. The only thing he wanted was obedience. Because you see, Moses had already learned that when he took matters into his own hands, disaster resulted. Acts 7. One day when Moses was 40 years old, still living in the Pharaoh's house, he decided to visit his relatives. Remember, he he didn't move into the princess's home until after he was weaned, which may have been up to five years old. So he knew who his people were. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. So Moses came to the man's defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them. See, he's murdered an Egyptian. So they're thinking, oh, he's, man, he's, he's a leader. He's strong, we need to follow, right? And they didn't. The next day he visited them again and they saw two men of Israel fighting. He tried to be a peacemaker. Men, you're brothers. Why are you fighting each other? He's so noble, see? And the man in the wrong pushed him and said, who made you the ruler and judge? Or in today's vernacular, who made you the boss of me? When Moses heard that, are you going to kill me like you killed that Egyptian? When Moses heard that, he fled the country and lived as a foreigner in the land of Midian for 40 years. But Moses' actions looked right, didn't they? I mean, they looked, they looked noble. They looked courageous. They looked well-motivated. And they resulted in rejection by the Israelites and Moses running for his life in fear and shame. What was Moses thinking while he was fleeing? I have really made a mistake. Don't you think? I've really made a mistake. I've lost my position I can't go back into the Pharaoh's house. I have no more power, no authority. So I don't have any way to help my people. Don't you think? I forfeited the opportunity to deliver my people. I think that's probably what he thought or something similar and it would have been reasonable. See, Moses had been a prince. Moses was a wise leader. Acts seven says he he was full of wisdom and he was powerful in speech. That seems to be what you'd want from a leader, doesn't it? He's wise. He's forceful. He's eloquent. He has some royal authority. He's been trained as a soldier. And God made him a shepherd. And nobody listened to him, including the sheep. which was exactly where God wanted him. You know, sometimes we try to make a big stand, don't we? We're gonna fix this situation. I'm gonna take care of this rebellious child. I'm gonna fix this broken relationship and I'm gonna do it by force. And what's the outcome? Sometimes the biblical word is shut up. Now you sit over there and I'll come tend to you later. Anybody ever been sent to the corner like that by God? You've done all your, now you're over here. You see, God didn't need a gifted leader. He didn't want a powerful soldier to deliver Israel for him. He wanted someone humble whom he could work through to carry out his plan. Not Moses' plan. And so God reshaped Moses from being this self-centered, proud, self-confident, capable man to being a broken, humble, perhaps even fearful, dependent man who was quick to deny any abilities. So he could do nothing but rely on God. You ever experienced that? You were full of yourself. You had all this ability. You were going to fix this situation and God broke you and you moved out of the way so he could step in. See, think about it. What if when Moses had killed the Egyptian then he went to say, you are brothers, you know, you shouldn't quarrel, and they said, oh, Moses, we'll follow you. What would have happened? You've got all these servants, they have some hoes and maybe some pitchforks and some sticks, and they're going to take on the mightiest army in the world at that time. What would have happened if such a revolt had arisen? They'd have been slaughtered. No telling how many Jews would have been put to death. Perhaps every able-bodied man put to death. And those that survived would have been treated even more harshly in slavery. But when Moses, you see, obeyed God, what happened? God sent the plagues, obviously, to get their attention. But the Israelites were released with no Israelite bloodshed. And not only that, the Egyptians gave them, remember, gold, silver, even clothing for their time in the wilderness. Exodus 3, verse 19. Exodus 12, verse 35. You see, God doesn't want you or me to devise a plan that we ask him to bless. Anybody ever gotten ahead of God on anything? God, I got a good idea. Now, how about you blessing this? How about you bringing it to pass? But God, you see, because He's more concerned with the relationship, He wants us to accomplish His will, His way, in His time. You see, humanly, we value men and women with vision and strategy. But what we really need is humility and waiting on revelation. But what if God doesn't intercede? Well, you'll just make a mess of it anyway if you try. And do we not believe that prayer really has power? See, if we're grabbers who pray as we reach, we don't believe in prayer. If we believe in prayer, we pray until God moves. And you know what? He can turn hearts and minds. He can change circumstances and situations. He can avoid bruising everybody up to get his will done. Acts 7. So God sent back the same man his people had previously rejected. He went back with his tail between his legs, didn't he? When they demanded, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Who made you the boss? Through the angel who appeared to him in the burning bush, God sent Moses to be their ruler and savior. But see, they'd already said, Well, who made you the ruler? And here's what God answered I did. I did. Are your efforts for God failing to produce the results you desire? And instead, are they just resulting in frustration, maybe fear, disappointment, discouragement? You're trying and you're doing your best and nothing is working. Perhaps God wants you to turn loose of the project and turn your eyes toward him. Perhaps he's more interested in developing this love relationship with him and out of that preparing your character, then you'll be able to receive an assignment without letting all your pride get in the way. God's invitation requires my availability, not my ability. Again, Exodus 3. But Moses protested, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? He's related to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, This this is probably not the same one. This could actually be a stepbrother by now. And who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Well, you already tried it one time. So everything he thought he possessed, he now is denouncing, isn't he? And he says, I can't do any of this. And God said, I will be with you. See, Moses was intimidated he, because he had tried before and failed. God was unconcerned with Moses' talents, skills, or leadership abilities. God cared only about Moses' willingness to be used by him. See, the point was that Moses would not deliver Israel out of Egypt. God would. God would. Acts 7 again. And by means of many wonders and miraculous signs, he led them out of Egypt. Does that, is that he, Moses? Who? No, because... What wonders and signs could Moses perform? And that was the way it happened. And by the plagues and through the Red Sea. Could Moses divide the Red Sea? I mean, he had a, you know, he had that big staff. Didn't that part the sea? No. And through the wilderness for 40 days. How do you feed perhaps 2 million people in a desert for 40 years? Only God. But when God's involved, no obstacle matters. See, Moses couldn't perform these wonders or these signs. He couldn't part the Red Sea. He couldn't sustain the Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years. But God intends for us to work with him as he works in us and through us to accomplish his plans, his purposes. And in the process, we experience God. Because remember, that's what He's most concerned with, our love relationship with Him, not our successes in this world. Philippians 2:13, "For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. He even provides the motivation, and he certainly provides all the ability. God will give you everything you need to accomplish His work. Anybody have a situation right now that they would like to see change? Let me see your hands. There's a situation you would like to see changed. So what are you gonna do? You're gonna grab it? Pray, and when you stop praying, pray some more. And after you've prayed as much as you can, then you just start praying again. And you fast and you pray and you fast and you pray and you fast and you pray. And in the process, you come to know God. And then what happens in this situation? It won't matter because you can trust God with it. If you want God to reveal his purpose to you, you seek a love relationship with him. You seek to know him and then you seek to know him more. And then in his time, not in yours, he'll reveal what he wants you to accomplish. But he'll provide you the desire and the power to do it you willing you ready maybe not yet but I'm seeking it how about that one counselors will come here they're here to pray with you about just beginning a relationship with Christ they'll pray with you if you say I have a hard time hearing will you help me understand how this happens they have oil to anoint for healing and they're here for just really any reason that you need them Father, I pray that you would show us where you're at work and you would give us the willingness and the ability to do whatever you call us to. In Christ's name we pray, amen.
0: Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so you can experience a transformed life. One of the ways you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326 to get connected with our Connections team. You can also find our message archives on our website or on the Brookwood app. Thank you for listening and have a great day.